Hey, good morning. It's really good to have you with us as we uh, begin a new series this morning. We're going to be talking about the heroic rescue of humanity, and it's a, uh, a, 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 an encounter with the uh, person and the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, we want this uh, to be a great time of the year where you, you don't just experience some transformation in your own life, but you invite others to experience this. And that's why we, in each of your bulletins, gave you an, 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 excuse me, an invite card and uh, to do that. So, so make sure you're looking around. We want to be a healthy church that is inviting people here. And uh, just like my family at home, I want my house to be a place where people can come into, where we have the value of people over possessions, and we use our house for ministry. We want to use our church for ministry. So look around you. There's people we can invite over. It's the easiest time of the year to invite someone to churches next weekend. So uh, I realize if you look around you, if you, everyone invited someone, there would not be room for everybody in this service. So choose an earlier service and let's fill up those so that we can let this message be known to people around us. Because what we're going to do over today, Good Friday, come back for that, and then Easter Sunday or weekend, is we're going to listen, we're going to learn, and we're going to celebrate uh, from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is uh, Palm Sunday, and uh, this is a celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I grew up in the church, so I have images of this, of what it could look like. Artists have made a rendering of this, and uh, I don't think it was like this. Jesus in this depiction is a little bit more stoic and Swedish than a Middle Eastern man who's son of a carpenter who loved and engaged people. But I'm more familiar with the flannel graphs. How many of you remember flannel graphs growing up in a church, perhaps? Yes, someone's very excited. Thank you, Warren, back there. is very excited about flannel graphs. But my Sunday school teacher would say, now, kids, Jesus came in. And, you know, this, the figure of Jesus would go up on the stage. And everyone, you know, the whole story would be told like that. And I remember um, my niece, Bonnie, when she was four years old, she would she sent me a, a tape, and it it was her her song that she sang about this triumphant entry. And she goes jumping up and down, jumping up and down, jumping up and down, shout Hosanna, Hosanna! But she couldn't say her R's. Okay, so she would go, "Heel comes Jesus, riding on a donkey," and I just remember that. And in early May, she's getting married. And so I'm going to bring that recording to her wedding. <laughs> she says her R's now. Parents, if your kids sing songs like that, especially to Jesus, tape them or record them because they are priceless when we get them. This is a pretty familiar story for us. And what, if we're not careful, we can take this and we can kind of commercialize Easter and even familiarize our lives so much with this story that as a result, it just becomes that, a story, a story or a celebration to mark the start of spring or family get-togethers where the weather starts getting warmer. I even uh, kind of laughed this week. This is something, a bulletin insert that some, some put out, you know, not in our church, of course not, but this is a maze to help Jesus get to Jerusalem like he needed directions and people can kind of follow. Follow that. Our world doesn't even have a concept. This is what they go off of. Folks, they weren't hatched. They weren't hatched. Some of you go, oh, but they're so cute. I'm nauseous when I see that. 
And so what we want to do is we want to re-engage the story, a much greater story than our culture has kind of come up with for this celebration. And we want to invite you into a larger story, a story so big that includes everyone who's who lives or who has ever lived, a story that gives all of us purpose to everything that exists, a story that begins, continues, and begins again with God, a story that's not a fable or a myth, but reality, a story that has an author working out his plot with a hero and a villain, a conflict of good and evil, a king advancing his kingdom with battles and fights over noble concepts, And this story will be marked by a complete restoration of everything. And this is the story of God and his love for us. It's of which the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, that God crafted this story in love even before the foundation of the world. And everyone who's ever been told this story by the scriptures are, are invited not just to hear it, And to understand it, but to actually engage it and to get involved in the story, to become part of the story. And so what we're going to do this Easter is share this story and we're going to invite you to come and be part of it. We come now to a very exciting time in the life of Christ with the great expectation of his disciples and all those around Jerusalem to celebrate the future, to look forward to the future of the Messiah coming in, where Jesus, the anointed one, the expected savior, would come into Jerusalem, the, the epicenter of Jewish, of the Jewish faith, and he would take the throne and he would rule. He would dash Rome, and then Israel would become that nation again. And we hear clapping. We hear in each of the gospel presentations from each of the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we hear clapping. We hear the the applause. That's exactly what we do when we hear applause, isn't it? You look, what are they, what's going on? And scripture kind of calls us into that. And what we want to look at uh, and what I want to put the anchor down is in Luke's account. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me in Luke chapter 19. If you're going with us on the L3 journal, which is a, a yearly opportunity to read through the New Testament, one chapter a day, um, you're in Luke uh, chapter 19. And, and that's where we're at today for our message. In verse 37, this is what it says. It says, when he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because... You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
It's a little bit different picture, isn't it, of a flannel graph than you may have been taught growing up in the church, if you grew up in the church. This is a picture where we get amidst all the excitement. Jesus could look into the hearts of people. And instead of the, you know, the, uh, the perception that everyone's excited about him as Messiah, Jesus knew into the hearts he did something I can't do because today you all kind of dressed up pretty well and you look really good and healthy and balanced. But I can't see the heart. You can come and you can perform very well in worship. And I can see that and go, wow, looks like you're connecting with God. But God knows each of our hearts. He knows what we're thinking, how we're living, how our attitudes are about him and about people. And he could see that. And when Jesus saw it, He didn't see acceptance. He saw rejection. And that's the picture. Because Jesus came and and the crowd yelled out an identity. An identity that, although they were saying it, they didn't really see it for who he really was. Look with me in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. Matthew 21 is Matthew's account of this. The people are shouting. It says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means from the Hebrew, oh, save us now. Psalm 118.25a is that, is that whole picture. You would see just that word there. Oh, save us now. The people wanted to be delivered. In uh, Mark, Mark records, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Jesus was seen as the ruler. And this kingdom would come in and be established through Jesus. They wanted him to be the political ruler of the day. Hosanna in the highest, which literally means, O you who lives in heaven, save us now. This was literally a call to God to deliver his people. As we read in Luke chapter 19, 38, it says, Bless the people yelled out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's an echo in Luke, isn't there? If you remember the presentation of Jesus and the birth of Jesus, what did the angels say in Luke 2.14? They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. Could this be Jesus actually? Could, could the people actually understand who he was and now be accepting him and receiving him as king? In John chapter 12, the people yelled out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Folks, the people understood Jesus. They they called out to him as the anointed one, the king, the ruler, the representative of God. The establishment of the kingdom would happen and the people of God would be restored to him. He would be their God. They would be their people. And Jesus was the one to get them there. But that, is not the Messiah that Jesus presented himself. Messiah is a hero. In the New Testament picture of Messiah, he's the hero. And there was two concepts, two heroic concepts of Messiah that I think we need to understand because they actually apply to us today on how we view Jesus and how we accept him or reject him. Uh, The first one is is through the, the word shalom. In the Hebrew language. Um, The first one has to do with deliverance from evil. 
This would be the leader who would come in and they would smash Rome. Rome would be defeated and the underdog Israel would win and the giant would be defeated and righteousness would be on earth and there would no, be no more war. There would be peace. And the Jews uh, continued to say shalom as a greeting because it's a picture of peace and only the Messiah could give them peace. There's another concept of Messiah, and that has to do with the restoration to God. This Messiah would come in and would bring prosperity. They would have power and influence, place and position and blessing. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, even his disciples battled over this concept. Who will be first in your kingdom when you establish the kingdom? And here the Hebrew word for this angle of the Messiah was Shabbat which means Sabbath, rest. He would give Israel rest. Rest from all their enemies. Rest from all their problems. He would be the great rest giver of our souls and of our lives. And they were looking for this prosperity through it. God was very intentional in his presentation of his son, Jesus, on this moment. One commentator I read this week said, all of history pointed toward this single spectacular event when the Messiah would publicly present himself to the nation and God desired this fact be acknowledged. It's the whole picture. Jesus was presenting himself as the Messiah. But what do we see? What do we see the response of the people? Well, the religious leaders of the day said, teacher, teacher, just or, or just silence your dis- disciples. Stop them. Shut them up. Do you understand what they're saying about you? Certainly, you're only a human. Stop this. And so they try to silence the expectation, the pronouncement of this deliverer and this restorer. But what do we see about the people? Jesus looked at this city and he wept over it because they rejected him. They rejected him for, what he, for who he was and what he would do. The people rejected him to pursue substitute saviors. Folks, this is the picture of Jesus. Jesus presents himself as Messiah on his triumphant uh, entry and the people reject him to pursue substitute saviors. Can I just say one thing? This is us today. Jesus has presented himself as the one who can deliver us and restore us. And we choose substitute saviors. You can go, oh, Joe, that was back in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really apply to my life. I'm sorry, this applies to me and applies to you. Let me ask you two questions. What is your picture of deliverance? And number two, what is your plan for restoration? I think it's important for us to just do a little soul searching right now because the people missed it. Jesus said, oh, that you... That even you had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. It's a profound, haunting statement by Jesus. Amidst all the applause, he saw into the hearts. They wanted what Jesus could do for them, not the kingdom he would bring in. You know what? We do the same. So what is it? How are you fixing what's broken in you? What's broken in you? How do you view deliverance? Some of us, if we're honest, once we get through the veneer of how we look on the outside, 
Some of us are just plain lonely. And you're broken. And you worry about that loneliness. And you worry about who's going to love you. Who's going to call you special. Who's going to think you're good and great. Others of us are hurt. We're hurt because someone has done something wrong. They've been critical of our lives and they've cost us something or they've weighed down. They've been negative to us and we're hurt. Some of us just worry. We're scared. We're scared. I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for my marriage. I'm scared for my finances and we're worried and we're just worried. And we look, we look around, we go, that is what's broken with me. Some of us are just angry. We've been disrespected by someone and we're just angry and those things are broken in us and we look through that and we go i need deliverance from that and if we're honest we go man i would i don't want to worry anymore i don't want to be angry anymore if we're really honest but the problem is instead of going to god and saying through jesus can you deliver me can you restore me we go to substitute saviors and with anger it goes into gossip and we go did you hear about that person and we are obsessed with taking that person down We follow the restoration plan of ourselves or the world around us and we reject the restoration that only Jesus can give us. Folks, we've been substituting saviors for a long, long time. It's what the scriptures say in Jeremiah chapter 211. It says, my people, Jesus, or God says, my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. A little empty empties. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, verse 13 says, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, we've exchanged, as Paul writes in, in Romans 1, 25, he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's the picture. We have been pursuing substitute saviors. So when we're lonely... We seek that person and we look for that person who thinks we're good and we spend, we move in with that person and we disobey God and we compromise our, 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 our beliefs because we're just so stinking lonely and they're our Messiah. There's the one who can deliver us. And so we compromise and we substitute what's in Christ's place. With a savior. It's really not a savior. Never been created to save us or deliver us. When we're angry. Instead of trusting the Lord. And going to him with our anger. Instead of following Christ. And how he has every reason. To be angry with us. But pursues grace. We gossip. Or we vent. And everyone around us sees that. Because we have a very little angry tank in our lives. And after we fill that one, guess what it does? It just fills and spills into other places in our lives. So people unrelated to the person you're angry at, angry at, fill our, they feel it around you. You're angry. You're an angry person. If you worry, your substitute savior is control. Cause you go, oh, you can't have that. We schedule our lives so that there's no possible option for danger to come in. And you worry and you make life and you try to control people around you because your substitute savior, for some reason, you've bought the lie. 
And we've had substitute saviors. They're different addictions. They're, they could be people. They could be concepts or an attitude. But they move us into a, a plan of restoration for us that is such a, a little, little dinky band-aid on a great big wound. Folks, Jesus presents himself as the Messiah. And I honestly believe that if he looks at our broken lives, when we substitute a savior for him, I believe, like Jerusalem, he weeps for us. And he comes to us today and say, if, says, if you, only you, would know on this day what brings you peace. And it just talks about spiritual blindness. Now it's hidden from our eyes. What is it? Did I touch on anything? Anything that's a substitute savior, is anything happening through the word of God right now into your heart that would show you what we're really doing, folks? We are satisfied with little idols. Not the redeemer of our soul. And Jesus weeps over us when we do that. You see, the call of the gospel, the call of the gospel is simply this, receive the king. Receive him. Receive him into our lives. You know, in uh, Luke 9, 23 and 24, uh, Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. We need that, folks. Because our life is either going to be led by Christ Or it's going to be led by us. It's going to be self-led. And it goes to the whole preaching of the gospel. Is that we would come and receive the king. That means we humbly accept and follow Christ. This is the story. That we're called to engage our God. That when Jesus entered Jerusalem... He shoots the arrow right to our hearts and addresses the issue because he sees our heart. You see, there was a time, there was a time when God created this world where God existed as king, as king, ruler over all. You may think that Genesis 1-1 is the beginning, but actually John 1-1 is the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. Everything that's been created has been created by him. So God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in a fellowship together in the beginning. And it was in this environment that God created this world and the universe. And he created his world and he put us, the crowning creation, humanity, male, male and female. And he put us in this environment that he created and said, rule Rule under me, but rule, have dominion over this world, subdue it, reflect me in all you do. And life was very, very good without sin. When we accepted this, this reign, man and wife loved each other and loved God. But we get a very short picture of this because as we look in our world today, this is not how things are. We are not following this God who created us. We're not putting ourselves under his leadership. Matter of fact, what we have done is we have rejected him. We have rejected him and we have made our own little kingdoms. 
This is, this is how the world can be revealed right now. This is how we do it. We've rejected the ruler, God, by trying to run life our own way without him. And can I just ask for all of us who came in here who are pursuing that or see tendencies of this, how's that working out for you? It's not. When I look in the mirror and I'm building my own little kingdom and I turn away from the Messiah, folks, it doesn't work for me. It's not working in our world. We fail to rule ourselves. We fail to to rule ourselves and our society and even the world. It's what Romans 3.10 says. It says, there's no one righteous. Not even one. There's no one who understands. No one who seeks God. Folks, this is how we explain the world right now. It's not how it's always been, but it is how it is right now. And this is how the scriptures, this is how the Bible explains why it is that life is such a struggle right now. Why it is that we're offended that God would ask us to submit to who he is and what he asks us to do. The reality is, is God is not going to allow us to rebel forever. We are all accountable to God. We're accountable to him because he's not only our creator, but he is our, he is our perfection. He has called us into a relationship. And because he's created us and crafted him for, crafted us for him, he, he will hold us accountable for how we're living. And the reality is, as Hebrews 9.27 says, is we have God's punishment for rebellion. It says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. This is the picture. That apart from and only in of ourselves, apart from God, we face the justice and the wrath of God. He will do that. This is a very bleak picture. And the story does not end here. But the scriptures say, not only in Romans, but also in Philippians, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for those of us who know him, we will go, yes, Jesus is Lord. And for those of us who do not, we will go, oh, no, Jesus is Lord. We're all accountable. The story doesn't end, though. Because God loves us. And even though we've rejected him, he has set out a plan of love called redemption. Where he provides what's needed. He delivers us. He restores us. He fulfills his role as Messiah. And he does it because he's a God of love. In Romans 5, 8, it says this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel, folks. This is the gospel message. You know, as you look around the world and you go, wow, people are sinners. I don't know that anyone in here should deny that people are sinners. Some of us can say there's some goodness in us, okay? Yeah, I guess there's goodness when we compare ourselves to each other. Some of us are better than others. But when we come to God and we see his holiness, there is a huge difference. Scriptures call that sin. And it breeds sins in our lives. We're sinners. We fall short of who God is. But you know, most of the religious 
systems of this world would say, when you realize you're a sinner, that you don't measure up, that you've offended God by the way you've lived and the way you've acted and the way you've thought, you can make yourself better. You can deliver yourself. And so they've made all these systems, all these rules, all these regulations. And on you showing up at church, you giving in the offering, you being involved in ministry. Because in some way they think that your good deeds can outweigh your bad deeds. And God will just go, okay, you're better than everyone else. You can get in. You know that breeds, that breeds a pride in you. That you can save yourself. Scripture says you can't. There's none who, ri- who are righteous. No, not one. And, and this verse tells us that God didn't wait for us to measure up to a certain level of performance before he said, okay, now I'll do this for you. You do this for me and I'll die for you. No, when you rejected him, when we rejected him, he died for us. While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God did it because he loves you. The same Jesus who wept over people who rejected him. He didn't weep because, you know, he was rejected and he, didn't, he wanted everyone to like him. He wept because he saw the depravity in each of us. He saw the hurt and the loss of what happens when we pursue substitute saviors. And it broke him. That's what Jesus did. Because of his love, God sent his son into the world. The man, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived always under God's rule. He was submissive and he obeyed the the authority of his father throughout his whole life and was completely obedient to God's law. We not only need the death and resurrection of Jesus, we need his life. He is the only one who lived on this earth without sin. He was tempted in every way, the book of Hebrews says, but yet without sin. We needed him to come and he was the only one who lived on this earth without sin. And when he died on the cross, he took our place of punishment and brought forgiveness. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, us, to bring you to God. It was the whole focus of the ministry of Jesus to bring us to God, to restore us back to the God who created us. And it was all through God's plan of redemption. And it was through the person of Jesus. And when Jesus died, God was satisfied that his death is enough for the sins of the world. It's enough. We don't need it. It says once for all. That one act on the cross for all of us. We don't need a substitute savior. We don't need our own little performance. We only need Jesus. But Jesus did not stay dead, the scriptures say. Jesus rose, and now God has appointed him as the ruler of this world. Jesus has conquered death and now gives new life and will return to judge someday. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Folks, see what God has done through Christ? He's brought it back. The story comes back to where we're delivered from our sin and in a relationship with God. And we're called to put and to follow and accept and to trust in the work of Jesus to deliver us and to restore us back to God. 
That is the picture. That is the picture that we're called to in the gospel. And so we're really called, through the scriptures, we have, we have, we have a choice. We have two ways to live. We can either live with us in control, governing ourselves, ruling ourselves, or we can submit to who Jesus is and trust in the only one who can deliver you and restore you back into a relationship with God who became righteousness for you so that you don't have to. That's the picture. I can either go my way where I reject the ruler, God, and try to run life my own way. The result is, as the scriptures say, I'm condemned by God facing death and judgment. Or I can trust in God's new way. And that's why the gospel is called good news. It's good news. Folks, it's not working. Self-ruling doesn't work. We were never created for that. We're created to be restored back to God. Where I submit to Jesus as my ruler, I rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. And the result is forgiveness by God, eternal life. This is the story you and I are invited to, into, by faith. It is for everyone. It shows the story of creation. It shows the pattern of rejection, the commitment of God to redemption, and the promise of God for restoration, all through Jesus Christ. You know, as I look at that, I just want to ask you a quick question as you look at that. Which, which life do you want to live? Really? Some of you, if I just asked you how you live in, you know, if I could just look at your life and you were really brutally honest with me, I think a lot would say, I'm, I'm ruling. I'm, I'm the ruler of my life. I look at it, what do I believe about things? I, I look about what I should do in a, a deal and I look around me for how I should do that. But I'm the ruler of my own life. And I just want to invite you. You know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem on his entry. And he said, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The same Jesus died and was resurrected. Folks, it's no longer hidden from our eyes. It's Jesus. And we're accountable to him. I think it's time that if we don't, we start believing. And we submit to who Christ is. And we accept what he's done for us and what only he can do for us. We turn from our sin and we trust in him. It's time, folks. It's time in Topeka for us to start trusting in God. Which way do you want to live? That's the gospel message. So here's what I want you to do. Right now, this is the first time it makes sense. Jesus said this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus said this. He was quoted. I think it's a a thing for all of us to come to the point of faith where we either believe or we we reject. And I want to make it available for you right now to believe. So if this makes sense to you, just in your heart, I want you to profess to God, just in a prayer. And prayer could go something like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me even when I rejected you. Thank you for Jesus Christ who fulfilled everything I couldn't. He delivers me and he restores me back to God. 
I trust in Christ. And I submit to him. He's going to be my new pattern. I'm going to follow his way, not my way anymore. If that is your heart, and that's been the condition of your heart, which only Christ can see right now, I think what happens is he moves from weeping on rejection to when you accept him, he moves to rejoicing. Because all of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. That's what we want to call you into. That's the message we're here. And I want to tell you, if this is a message that you believed when you walked in the door, you still need to know that because we can still put substitute saviors in. It's not that we lose our faith. It's that we just trust those little band-aids rather than the true healing and the true restoration of Jesus. And we, after knowing Christ, sometimes need to repent from self-ruling in order to submit to the leadership of Christ in our lives. We want to be a church that keeps that straight too. So just in this moment, would you just bow your heads as we close? And just profess, profess your faith, whatever that is right now, in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come to you as people with a choice to either receive you as the true Messiah, the only one who can deliver us from sin and restore us to a relationship with you, the way we're created to live, or to go our own way, to reject you and to run our lives our own way. Heavenly Father, I pray through your Holy Spirit that you would turn hearts to Jesus right now. I pray that people would trust in you. And as we trust in you, would you open our eyes to things that are hidden from us right now? Open our eyes to see the reality of life with you. Where we enter the story and we welcome you and we receive you and we accept you and we follow you, turning from our way in order to trust your new way. Heavenly Father, may we be a church who is rich with this message of grace and truth. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.